Let's pray. Heavenly Father, all that we have is yours. It belongs to you. You gave it to us. You asked us to be good stewards, to take care of everything, whether it be our houses, our cars, our children, our jobs, our property, our church, whatever. We have not always been as faithful as we could be or should be. So today we pray that as we look at your word, we would be encouraged one more time to give you thanks and praise, for you are indeed are the giver of every good and perfect gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was a man who lived out east who always dreamed of owning his own cattle ranch. And he finally saved enough money to buy his dream spread out in West Texas. His best friend flew out to visit and asked him, so what's the name of your ranch? His buddy told him they had a really hard time coming up with a name. He said he and his wife couldn't agree on what to call it, so they settled on the Double R Lazy L Triple Horseshoe Bar 7 Lucky Diamond Ranch. His friend says, wow, that's pretty impressive. He said, now, where are all the cows? He said, well, we had quite a few, but none of them survived the branding. In other words, he didn't take very good care of what he had been given. In today's reading that Kevin just shared with you, Jesus is also talking about our responsibility to wisely use what he has given us. And I'm going to kind of retell this story. We're going to start off and take a look at this story in context. In today's reading from Matthew chapter 25, uh, it kind of comes in this section of the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is giving his answer to a question that the disciples had asked back in Matthew 24, which was, when will this happen? He meant the end of time. When will the end of time happen? What will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Now, Jesus in his teaching in Matthew 24 warned them uh, to be on guard because he said, you never understand the days or the times or the seasons, and that the Son of Man will come back rather unexpectedly. In chapter 25, he starts out by comparing um, this coming to this eastern custom of a bridegroom showing up in the middle of the night. Chapter 25, towards the end, talks about that separation of sheep and goats, which, by the way, will be our message for next week. Whose side are you on, the sheep side or the goat side? But sandwiched in between all of those stories about end times is this parable of the talents. And if you look back at the text again, and you might want to just kind of keep your... There is an outline back on about page 9, but if you look at the text again on page 4, you'll notice that the very first word that Kevin read today was again. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. That word again indicates that Jesus is using yet one more parable to explain future events. And the man who's going on this journey, of course, is Jesus. And as we walk through this section of God's Word, I want to put it under the category today of seven stewardship lessons. Seven lessons. Here is lesson number one. You'll see it on the screen up here. What we have is not ours. What we have is not ours. Verse 14 says that 
again, this man was getting ready for a journey. He calls his servants and entrusted his property to them. Now, you need to understand that in those days, the days of Jesus, it was rather customary for wealthy men to take long journeys. It was also pretty customary that they would delegate some control and some multiplication of their wealth to people that they considered to be trustworthy employees. Uh, They were expected to have a return on that investment when they got back. Now, given the uncertainties of traveling that day, I mean, they did not have Amtrak, they didn't have Greyhound buses, they didn't have airplanes or private jets. When this guy showed up again was kind of iffy. It depended upon travel conditions. Now, I want to suggest to you that there was absolutely no doubt in the mind of these three guys that the property and the money was not theirs. The money or the property that was given to them belonged to the master. They were just merely possessors, not owners. Their job was to manage what they'd been given. They were called upon to be good stewards, if you will, caretakers. Now, likewise, you and I need to remember that everything we have has been given to us and is not really ours. I often think of this at the time of baptism, for example, that you brought in what you thought was your child, but then after baptism, what God literally is saying to you is, I'm now giving you back my child, and I am entrusting you to raise that child on my behalf. I mean, that's a good way to remember our children and who they really are. They really belong to God through baptism, but now God gives them to us to take care of. I mean, he, we're just nothing but servants. He is the sovereign. And until we completely understand this truth that what we have is not ours, we will not be good managers of what we have. Here's lesson number two. This is one, a lesson that a lot of people don't like to hear, but we're given what we can handle. And a lot of people complain. You know, they go, well, I don't have very much. Well, the answer is you got what you can handle. In verse 15, the master gave some talents to three of his servants. To one he gave five talents of money, to the other two, the other one, one. And did you catch the next phrase there in verse 15? Each according to his ability. Then he went on this journey. Now, I want to stop here and talk a little bit about that word talent, a talent of money. Uh, A talent was a measure of weight. And its value depended upon what you were weighing. Uh, For example, if you were weighing copper or silver or gold. And I've hunted through a lot of commentators. And and, and while commentators differ on the exact amount of money, what a talent was worth, most everybody said it was about the amount of money that it would take a common laborer 20 years to accumulate just one talent. Putting it into modern-day economy... People have said one talent was worth about $300,000. Now think about this. So the master gave servant number one five talents. Can you do the math? $1.5 million. The second guy got two talents, uh, which would be about uh, $600,000. And the last guy got one talent, which was $300,000. Now there's a big difference between one and five. I mean, the guy who received a talent, though, just one of them, still had a lot of money. He still had $300,000. And when I read this story again, it reminds me how God gives all of us out of his abundance. 
And notice again that it says that each servant received according to his ability. Now, I'm going to say this a couple of times, but here, here's, here's a principle. Your responsibility is tied to your ability. Your responsibility is tied to your ability. God's kingdom purposes do not operate according to what is fair. I mean, a lot of people have read this story. I've had people tell me in Bible class, right, this isn't fair, that God should give somebody this and somebody else that. Well, guess what? God doesn't need to operate by your rules. God's economy operates on God's way of thinking. It's not fair, but God say, would say it's what's best. You have what you have because God gave it to you. And no matter what God gives to you, God expects you to manage those gifts within the boundaries of ability that he has hardwired into you at the time of creation. In other words, God knows exactly what every last one of us can handle. Our job, then, is to do with whatever God gives us and work with it. The question is, do we trust that God knows more about us than we even know about ourselves? Good question. Stewardship principle number three. We must invest what has been given. Verse verse 16 tells us the man who received five talents went, what did it say, at once and put his money to work and gained five more. Now, the two-talent guy did the exact same thing, only the text did not say at once, but we, we can pretty much guess that he worked hard as well because he doubled his master's money and came back with four. But then did you catch the approach of the one-talent guy? Verse 18, But the man who received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, even though there are no specific directions as to what to do with this money when the master gave it to them, the first two guys at once went out and did something with it and multiplied that investment. The best you could say about the one-talent guy was he was a slacker. Uh, He basically went off and he burned whatever blessing was going to come to him. Now, you should also know that there was a custom in that day for people to actually bury their money. Kind of like the custom we used to have here in America. It was a custom, but a lot of people used to stick a lot of money, what, under the mattress? (laughs) They're just going to store it there. Well, in Jesus' day, it was kind of a custom to bury it in the ground. Uh, They thought that that was the safest, even though less profitable way of protecting their possessions. Take it out and bury it somewhere. Now, what this guy did was waste his potential. He wasted what God gave him. And see, our potential is God's gift to us. Every last one of us here has a certain amount of potential. It's not ours. We're given the potential we can handle, but we need to invest it. Uh, Well-known motivational speaker Zig Ziglar said, You are the only person on earth who can use your ability. The question is, friends, are you investing what you've been given? your time, your talent, your treasure, regardless of how much it is? Or have you 
kind of buried your time and your talent and your treasure and kept it hidden, stored away for later use. Here's the fourth thing. A day of accountability is coming. I seriously doubt if I asked how many people would like the IRS to do an audit on you that anybody's hands would go up. Nobody wants to be... I mean, I, there's a commercial on radio that said that the, the three uh, most terrifying letters in the English language are IRS. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. We'd all hope we would not be audited. But someday, every last one of us is going to be audited by the Almighty. And we're going to need to give an account of what we've used or how we've used what it is we've been given. There's a kind of a scary Bible passage back in Hebrews I just kind of thought of, it just popped in my mind, but it talks about how people, this is going to sound terrible, but people should be careful how they treat their pastor because he's the one who has to give an account of you someday. And, and, it said, and, and you don't want that account to be unworthy. But at the same time, while the pastor someday uh, has to, you know, says, well, tell me about Derek Huffman, and I have to give an account of Derek, the Bible passage also in Hebrews says that the pastor will be held accountable for those under his watch as well. And so while I might be asked, you know, tell me about Derek, uh, I'm also going to be asked, well, in fact, I, I hate to think about this. I mean, in 45 years of ministry, teaching and pastoring, how many people have been under my care? How responsible have I been for them or with them? And that's kind of a scary thing. We're going to need to get, give an account. What did you do with what I gave you? Verse 19, it says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and Settled accounts. The IRS came back into town. So Jesus, too, we know Jesus is going to come back someday. And there's going to be a day of reckoning. And while most of us believe that in our heads, we don't always live with eternity in our hearts. But I'm going to tell you, friends, Jesus is coming back. We may not be around to see it. We may be dead and gone. We may be in heaven. We we'll just join the rest of the group when the sky cracks, the horns blow, the angels come. But who knows? God may come. And we're going to be here, and that's a day of reckoning. And it's just kind of a thought for us to be faithful in doing well with whatever God gives us. He invested something in every last man, woman, and child who's here today, and he's coming back to claim it. What did you do with it? Now, your job may be big or small, but he's going to come back. Whatever he's given you, to the best of your ability, will you be ready for an audit. I think it would be kind of terrible and rather shameful when Jesus come back to say, uh, I hid it or I buried it. I, I think it would do us all well just to get into the habit of spe asking the question, how will my money management or how will my decision to serve or how will my decision not to serve look on the day of accountability? What did you do with your time, your talent, your treasure? Did you seek first my kingdom, or was your own little itty-bitty kingdom a whole lot more important? Here's number five. What we do with what we have reveals our view of God. 
Kind of an interesting statement. Just think about that. What we do with what we have reveals our view of God. In verses 20 to 25, we see the the five-talent guy comes back, and what's he got? He's got five more talents, and he says, See, I have gained more. Now, I love going back and looking at this in the original Greek, because I like looking to see if there's any little kind of interesting things. And lo and behold, there's one little word that popped out. It's the word see. He says, see, I have gained five more. Very literally in the Greek language, see means behold <laughs> or look. I mean, you, you, this, this, this two-talent guy uh, comes back the same way. I mean, these guys were really eager to get out there and do something with it. And then they couldn't wait to come back and say, looky here. Look at this. They were excited to show what they'd done with what God had given them. Now, to both guys who did the same thing, what does Jesus do? He says the exact same thing to both of them. He says, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a few things. And you're probably going, a few things? A million and a half dollars? Okay. Uh, to, the, to the master? It was. He says, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, I think there will be a different screen pop-up here, but I just want to show you what these two faithful servants got. There were, there were three different things they got. They got affirmation, promotion, and celebration. That's what God wants to give to every one of his faithful children. And what is the affirmation? Great job. Well done. I appreciate your work. I appreciate your faithfulness. I mean, that's a wonderful affirmation. Then he gives them a promotion. Since you've done so well with what I've given you, I'm going to give you even more responsibility, even more opportunity for growth. And then he says that there's going to be a celebration. You've made me very happy. Let's party. Wouldn't that be cool to hear Jesus say that? Let's party. Party on, dudes. I mean, God is just looking for faithful people. He's looking for people who properly manage their resources for kingdom purposes. And again, it's not necessarily money. It's your time, your talent, your treasure, all that God has given you. Everything that's all wrapped up in the package known as you. God's looking for people who just do the very best with what they've got. I wish I could have pulled this video together quicker this morning. I got it sent to me by a friend of mine who lives in Canada. And uh, he does a big worship conference every year up in Edmonton, Alberta, and I've been to it one time. But they have a guy coming this last year, and I don't remember his name, but I'm going to post it on my website later. But this is a young man who was born without arms and legs. And I'll guarantee you, you can watch this six-minute video, and if you don't have a tear in your eye when it's done, you've got a harder heart than a lot of people. But he tried to commit suicide when he was 10 years old by trying to drown himself. And this video, it'll touch your heart because he's going to sing a song in there too. But the song is basically, God is never through with you. I mean, and you could say, well, here's somebody who, who got shortchanged on the talent business. I mean, he didn't even get one. He didn't get arms or legs. And when you watch this guy go around on a skateboard, you're going to go, wow. But you know, here's a guy who says, no, I can make the very best with what God has given me. Pretty powerful stuff. I would like to be a person who would like to see a smile on Jesus' face someday when he sees me. When he says, well done. 
come on in, let's party forever. You know, the one talent guy came back completely different. Verse 24, he says, I knew that you were a hard man. Did you notice the very first word out of his mouth was what? I. <laughs> Suffer from eye disease. I knew. Now, you could really translate this as I always knew. And the other two kept focus on their master when they, their first words out of their mouth were, Master. This third guy had a, an entirely wrong view of the master, who, of course, we know is Jesus. And he had his mind made up about this master. He had his mind made up about Jesus before he even received his talent. Now, Christian author A.W. Tozer said that what we think about God is the most important thing about us. If we view God as a tyrant, then we'll filter everything through that lens. Now, I can't look into your hearts any more than you can look into my heart, but there may be some of you today here who secretly are very angry with God. You'd be angry with God because you, of something you think he did to you or to someone else. Or you're very angry with God because of something that God should have done. He should have taken care of this. He shouldn't have let this happen. And as a result, that attitude will kind of skew how you view God. So those preconceived notions prevent you from seeing God for who he really is. That God is a wonderful God of love. That God is a wonderful God of grace. He's not some nasty dude who's out to get us every chance he can get at us. I don't know much about Twitter. But my grandson told me, Grandpa, maybe you ought to tweet. I thought, yeah, okay. So I set up a Twitter account. Um, and I have a bunch of people that, for some reason or another, decided to follow me so we can tweet at each other. And a few people I'm following, and one person I've known fairly well for most of my life, and I requested that I could follow him to find out whatever he wants to tweet, and I don't know how many characters or less. He lasted one week with me, and I untweeted him. I don't know what what you do. You you pull the tweet out. There's a word for it. I, I untweeted this guy. This is a very, this is a person that, a lot of people would think is very spiritual. But his view of God is so negative. It is so nasty that I just couldn't take it anymore. I mean, God, every, every little tweet is how God demands this of us and God wants this of us. And if you don't straighten out God, you know, it's like, oh, untweet, you're gone. He's got a really screwy view of God. It's just because he, he's too focused on himself. He's still religious, I guess I'd say. He hasn't really learned about a relationship. See, when Tozer says, if we view God as a tyrant, that says a lot about us. You know, you know your preconceived notions won't let you see God for who he really is. And as a result, you probably will hold back. You'll refuse to use what God has given you. And what you do is you end up burying your stuff. And then what? Then you walk around and you blame God for doing it to you. Now, some of you 
you know, you got a faulty view of God. You can spot people that way. Do you know that? People with a faulty view of God always make excuses. They always excuse everything. In verse 25, this man actually has an excuse. Did you catch it? He says that the reason he didn't do anything with it was because he was afraid. I'm not going to go out there and mess with your money because I know you're a hard man. I mean, his fear paralyzed him, and so he just played it safe. And he accomplished exactly what he set out to achieve. Nothing. Maybe you heard this saying, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. See, a wrong view of God also leads to fear. That's how you can, you can tell that some people are very fearful. I mean, a right view of God always leads to faith. I mean, if you're always struggling with fear, you're afraid about this and afraid about that and wonder whether God's going to do this for you, whether God, you know, all this kind of stuff, the best antidote for that is to dig into a deeper understanding of who God really is and then ask Him to grow your faith. That's courage. Now, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is just moving ahead in spite of your fears. I have a feeling these other two guys thought knew that their boss was somebody to be afraid of too. They probably knew. This guy was a hard guy. But they knew his character. They knew inside what a good guy he really was, and so they stepped out in faith. If you think the difference between these two and the one, there's a lot of differences. I, 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 don't even, I wrote down a whole bunch of these. The first two were determined to make a profit. The third one was determined not to take a loss. The first two were willing to work hard and take risk. The third one was not willing to work or take a risk. The first two received the gift. The third guy refused the gift. The first two wanted to advance the master's wealth. The third guy could care less about the master. The first two viewed their talents as an opportunity. The third guy saw his as what? A problem. The first two allowed the master's gift to change their lives. The third one refused to let the gift even touch their lives. The first two invested. The third guy wasted. The first two saw a blessing. The third guy saw a burden. The first two knew the master. The third guy had absolutely no clue. Here's number six. What we have, we must use, or what we have, we will use. That rhymes, doesn't it? I've never noticed that. I didn't realize I wrote poetry in here. What we have, we must use, or what we have, we will use. Verse 26 reveals that the master saw right through his flimsy little excuse. Did you catch what he said to the guy? You wicked, lazy Servant. Now, there's some words we don't hear very often, huh? Particularly wicked. We don't use that one very often. Parents, when's the last time you ever called your little kiddos wicked? Well, the word wicked, what does it mean? Wicked means evil, hurtful, and malicious. In other words, what he said to this third guy was, You little liar. In your heart, you're nothing but a selfish, lazy bum. If you would have wanted to do something, at least you could have put my money in the bank and let me draw interest. Now, I've got to tell you, those are pretty strong words. But, you know, God is not going to judge us merely for doing wrong. God also judges you for not doing 
right. Now, I don't want to bring up and talk about the entire whole Penn State deal, but I thought about early this morning that God punishes not only sins of commission, those that we actually do, but he also punishes sins of omission for failing to do the right thing when we know it. See, this man was wicked. Why? Because he deliberately misrepresented both the master and himself. He falsely accused the master of being, you know, mean, lied when he said, see, here's what belongs to you. You know, that's a lie. I mean, he actually owed his employer what? Not only the one talent he'd been given, he owed him what he could have earned had he been faithful with what God had blessed him with. Now, amazingly, instead of owning his own guilt, he behaves as if the master should have given him credit for what? For being so cautious. In the original Greek, the combination of the words wickedness and laziness is kind of unforgettable because those two words actually rhyme in Greek. They don't rhyme in English. Now, while the other two people are out there busy and working hard, this selfish little slug dug a hole, little realizing that he was digging his own grave. Now, sadly, I don't need any raise of hands on here, but anybody here lazy? Uh, we all got a streak in us. I mean, some of your streaks are a little bit wider than others. It doesn't make any difference. We all got a touch of laziness. And in fact, I think even our society seems to have a touch of slothfulness as well. And there are some people who go so far as just not only being lazy in life, but they're also very lazy in their spiritual life. Hebrews 6 says, We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And because this third guy did not use what he'd been given, he lost it. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. This is the classic what? Use it or lose it principle. I mean, you don't hold it. You develop it. You compound it. You multiply it by using whatever it is God has given you. Time, talent, treasure, you name it. And doing the very best you can with how he's wired you up to do it. Here's number seven. Who you know... And what you do will lead to either abundance or agony in the next life. Verse 29, what do we find? People who are faithful with little things have abundance. Everyone who has will be given more, he'll have an abundance. Now, this passage is not saying that if you're faithful with a little bit of money, that God's going to dump a whole truckload in your front yard. I mean, how God gives you his abundance is up to God. I mean, those who have given themselves in full surrender... Selfless service will be given even more opportunities. Do you ever notice how that works in life? I can name all kinds of people. It just seems like one good thing after another happens to them. They just keep moving right along. And when you look at their lives, you know, you see people who are in full surrender to the Lord. They thank the Lord every step of the way. And they selflessly give themselves using the talent God has given them. And God says, okay, you can handle that. I'll give you a little more, give you a little more, give you a little more. Now, he, com- he concludes this parable by saying that the worthless servant will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of tre- teeth. Well, we don't have to search Scripture very far to realize that that phrase is used in other places to describe hell. Those who don't know God don't serve God. And a lack of serving 
may indicate that a person has never really truly known God. That's why Jesus actually called him worthless. See, a believer has worth, how so? Through his faith in Christ. To be worthless would indicate you didn't really have that faith. I mean, a servant lived in the house of his master, but he didn't really know the owner. Didn't really love the owner. And a lack of service betrays a heart where God doesn't really live. See, a Christian who's not using what God has given him is really a contradiction in terms. I mean, do you want abundance or agony in the next life? Do you, you have to determine to know the master, to serve him wholeheartedly. Not hiding the truth, not burying it. I mean, stewardship has been described as the use of God-given resources for the accomplishment of God-given goals. Now, there's seven of those things up there, and it's, I think it's always kind of good sometimes to take those and look at them and ask yourself, how do you line up with that? What we have is not ours. Is that the way you treat everything in life, that it really belongs to God? We're given what we can handle. For some people, that means swallowing our sinful pride and saying, thank you, Lord, I thought I deserved more, but evidently I have what you know is best. We need to invest it. You know, don't store up treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven, we talked about in Bible class this morning. A day of accountability is coming. God's going to ask us, what did you do with what I gave you? You What we do with what we have reveals our view of God. What we have we must use, or what we have we will lose. And who you know will lead to either abundance or agony in the next life. I mean, are you willing to know Jesus and know more about him? Anybody ever watch Antiques Roadshow? You ever watch that show on television? I haven't watched it very much. It's kind of funny, actually. But it's about people who are bringing all their junk. I look upon it as junk. I guess it's stuff. Is stuff better than junk? I guess. Whatever. They're bringing their stuff to these appraisers to find out how much the stuff is worth. And, and sometimes it's really funny because some people who have really lavish items come on this show to, to find out how big a treasure they're going to get. And more often than not, they find out that it's just a cheap little knockoff and their treasure is actually worth next to nothing. But there are always other people who show up with some little small trinket or a, a painting that they found underneath a bunch of old boxes upstairs in their attic. And a lot of times these people find out that this is not just some junky old painting, but they, they actually had a Van Gogh sitting up in their attic. It was, the item was worth far more than they thought it was worth. See, the people who are hoping to hit it big with their extravagant items are a bit like we are when we think we can impress God with what we have. On the other hand, some of us think that we really don't have much at all to offer. But what we really have is the treasure of God himself in our hands. Our responsibility, friends, is simply to use the abilities that God has given us, whatever they may be, to invest in God's kingdom purposes. I mean, very literally, God has placed his business in our hands. And someday he's going to come back and see what we've done with it. I, for one, want to partner with him and be a blessing. After all, look what partnering with God does. Being one of God's 
partners, if you will, not because we chose, but because he chose. I can't think of any better gifts than forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. That's a pretty good return on your investment, isn't it? May God bless us all in that pursuit. Amen.